So we are in week three of our series on worship called Then Sings My Soul. I've really enjoyed this series so far. I hope that something God's been using in your life as well. I want to jump right in today because we have a lot to cover and give you the title of today's message, and that is Worship Through the Book of Psalms. And I chose this word through uh, very intentionally because a lot of times we think of worship in the book of Psalms. And so Psalms is this big book kind of in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament, and it's not known for worship. It's known for giving us a lot of great guidance when it comes to worship. And it's good to go to a particular psalm and let let it guide us in worship. And we're going to look at some specific psalms today in the message, but really the goal of today's message is that we see how we can actually worship through the entirety of the book of Psalms. And so let me kind of just tell you straight up, this sermon's a little different. Maybe two or three times a year, I like in a sermon to not only dig into a text and see what that text says and see how that text can transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus. I also like to, while looking at the text, look at the book that the text is in and perhaps maybe explore that book in greater detail and in doing so, hopefully equip you in your own time with the Lord. See, I believe that it's important that we all spend time in God's word daily. I hope that the only time you interact with God's word isn't when you're gathered with God's people on Sundays. And so maybe some of the things that we talk about today will also serve you well in your own time with the Lord if you are moving through the book of Psalms. And so there's a message notes, some message notes inside your bulletin. Go ahead and grab those. If you're joining us online, you can access those right here at vaughnforest.com. So eventually, I'm going to get to five points that I'm going to ask you to jot down. But before I get to those points, those principles, those applications, I'm going to share a lot of background things that are going to really kind of frame the entirety of the book of Psalms helping us see how we worship through it. So you might want to jot down some of these things that I'm going to talk about that aren't necessarily uh, fill-ins in your notes before I get to the fill-ins in your notes. So let me just give you kind of a quick little background on the book of Psalms. It's a collection of prayers, worship songs, and poems sung and spoken in public and private worship. Some of the Psalms were written for the purpose of being sung in the temple. Others were written for private use and then adapted for public worship. We see this with a lot of Psalms that David wrote. So David, as we're going to see today, is a very prominent figure in the book of Psalms. He wrote some Psalms inspired by the Holy Spirit specifically for temple worship. He wrote other Psalms that were more reflective of something he was walking through in his own personal life. And then those were later adapted to be sung corporately by everyone in the temple. And then there are more than 400 quotations from the book of Psalms in the New Testament. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is second, and as you can see, with only 47. And so clearly the New Testament writers, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, understood the weight of the book of Psalms. It wasn't just a book with a bunch of Psalms to be sung. It's actually telling a much greater story, and there's a lot of theological richness to the book of Psalms, and we see that over and over when it comes to using it in the New Testament. So let me give you some of the different types of Psalms. There are different types of Psalms, and as you read through the book of Psalms, you'll encounter these. Some of them are Psalms of praise. This is what we typically think of when we think of the book of Psalms. But see, there's 150 different Psalms, 150 chapters, if you will, is how our Bible breaks those down. Some of them are Psalms of praise which is why we would think, let's go to the book of Psalms when we're doing a series on worship. But then some of them are Psalms of lament. The word lament is a much nicer way of saying complain. So next time your kids are complaining, go, could you at least make it a lament? It'll sound a little better, okay? There are some complaints in the Bible. 
They're really there. Sometimes a psalm of lament is actually a lament towards God. Hey, God, what are you doing? You ever felt that way? Did you know that there's actually places in God's word where God allowed it to be included in his word where that question is asked of him, a psalm of lament? Sometimes it's a complaint towards someone else. Sometimes it's more of an internal reflection, complaining about something that's, you know, maybe stirring within us, but there are psalms of lament. Clearly, there are psalms of thanksgiving. We offer our thanksgiving to God. Psalms of trust. The 23rd psalm would be one of these. So what does David say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's David saying? I'm walking through a valley, shadows of death, I'll keep trusting you nonetheless. We see this over and over in the book of Psalms. We see Psalms about the earthly king. So this is gonna be David. This is going to be Solomon. But then we also see there are Psalms that point us towards a heavenly king. They're more prophetic in nature, pointing us to who we now obviously know was Jesus. But again, Psalms is written in the Old Testament. There's also Psalms of wisdom, very similar to the book of Proverbs, an entire book of wisdom. We have Psalms of wisdom, Psalms of Torah. That's another word for Old Testament law, where we celebrate God's law. We celebrate God giving the law. We celebrate the goodness of the law. We celebrate the life that comes from pleasing God through his law. Now, we obviously know the law is fulfilled ultimately in and through the person of Jesus Christ, but written in this time with the Old Testament, there's a celebration of that. And then finally, the imprecatory Psalms, which are one of the more unique passages in the Bible because they're literally Psalms where David is calling for God to destroy his enemies. And this is very different when we get to the New Testament and Jesus is telling us to pray for our enemies. And so there's lots of different types of Psalms, okay? There's hopefully you see a little bit of the background when it comes to Psalms, but kind of the big thing I want us to focus on is the structure and the arrangement of the book of Psalms. So there's 150 different Psalms. And what I want us to spend the next few minutes talking about is that there was great intentionality with how that book, 150, we think of them as chapters, but I'm calling them individual Psalms. How were these 150 Psalms put together? What was the order? Was it haphazard? Was it intentional? How are they arranged? And, and I've been trying to figure out what's the best way to communicate this. And because again, I, I want to try to not just dig, dig into God's word, but also maybe give you some tools that, that are helpful when you dig into God's word. And so I was praying about this this week. So I'm just going to like, you know, level with you and tell you that what I'm about to share may or may not have come from the Holy Spirit. I'm just being honest, okay? So it could have been me sensing the Holy Spirit go use this as an example, or it could have been a bad taco. I'm not sure, and I love me some tacos, so that can happen, okay? I ate quite a few tacos during the week. So the best way that I could come up with, and if this offends you, I'm sorry, blame me, not God, but the best thing I could come up with when thinking of the structure and the arrangement of the book of Psalms would quite simply be to think Star Wars, okay? Again, she did you think Star Wars. Don't leave yet, okay? Now, I usually use sports analogies. I'm using a Star Wars analogy today, okay? So if you think about Star Wars, now, I don't know how many of y'all know Chad Boak, our executive pastor of ministry. Chad Boak is like the expert on all things Star Wars. In fact, when I got to know Chad four years ago, I thought I liked Star Wars until I met Chad. And then I realized, no, he takes it to a whole different level. So I had to fact check a few of the things I'm about to share with you this past week with Chad, um, all things Star Wars. But let's talk about Star Wars for a second. This is not 
not the rest of the message. Some of you are all like, what are we doing? Just hang with me for a second, okay? So let's talk about Star Wars, and then we're going to make a correlation here with the book of Psalms, okay? So here's all the Star Wars movies, the order they were released, the year they came out, and the episodes. So they're called episodes. Those of you who don't like Star Wars, hang with us for a few minutes, okay? So episode four, the first Star Wars that was released, A New Hope, 1977, episode four. So they start with episode four. So when I talked to Chad this week, I said, all right, Chad. So when, when that came out, episode four, had George Lucas already written episodes one, two, and three? And did he just decide to release episode four first? And then Chad talked for like 20 minutes. And I was like, no, I'd, I just need an answer. And basically the bottom line was there's a lot of different theories, but the best we can tell is he wrote episode four first. Okay. New Hope. Episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, 1980. Episode six, Return of the Jedi, 1983. Now, I was born in 1979. So Return of the Jedi was kind of my first interaction with Star Wars. About five years old, I remember watching it, and I was like, I'm going to be Luke Skywalker when I grow up, and and Ewoks are awesome. And if you don't like Ewoks, we'll pray for you, right? So they're kind of cool, right? So that was kind of my first interaction, and I went back and watched A New Hope, and I went back and watched Empire Strikes Back. And then there's like a 16-year gap, and finally, 1999, we get episode one. Now we're getting some background. Phantom Menace, episode two, Attack of the Clones. Not, I didn't really like that one too much. Episode three, Revenge of the Sith, 2005. Then we have to wait another decade. And in episode seven, The Force Awakens, 2015. Episode eight, The Last Jedi, 2017. Episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. Now we're going to leave this up here for a second. We're going to talk about it, okay? The reason we're going to talk about it is because I want you to see that there's this big story that's being told, this big epic story. And, 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 and in the episodes, that story is being told over the course of several centuries. It's not like all nine episodes ha- you know, take place within you know, 15 years of each other. So it's spanning a, a great period of time, but there is a very intentional arrangement of these episodes. So they're arranged in a way to tell you a story, a, a much bigger story. And 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, like this is still going to be a story that was told, obviously, fictitiously. Don't tell Chad that. Fictitiously, okay? But it's a story that's being told and it's being arranged a certain way so that we pick up on actually what's happening. So let's now go back to the book of Psalms. And and I want you to kind of take this idea of what we just talked about, the structure and arrangement, and we kind of see how these episodes are laid out and there's very intentional uh, order to this. And, and I want you to see that that is kind of same idea what happens in the book of Psalms. There, there's a structuring that's taking place. So let me give you kind of some ideas to keep in mind. The content in the book spans several centuries. So we've got 150 Psalms. And, and, and the content, when you read through the book of Psalms, it, it is spanning several centuries, several hundred years. We know that David wrote many psalms that were sung during worship at the temple that Solomon dedicated around 957 B.C. Now, some scholars argue on the specificity of that date. We'll just go with 957. I mean, what's a decade among friends when you're talking about B.C., okay? 957 B.C., Solomon, he dedicates the temple. This is David's son. And we know that some of the psalms David wrote were being sung in that temple that his son Solomon dedicated. The formal version of psalms being sung during worship did not occur until the reconstruction of the temple, which was dedicated after the exile in 516 B.C. So that's a pretty big gap from 957 to 516. Old Testament history, what's happening there? Well, you can read that history. 
in your Bible, but let me kind of summarize it with some of the highlights. God's people, things aren't going very well. They're being disobedient. Eventually, they are exiled. The Babylonians defeat them. The temple that Solomon constructed is destroyed. God's people are exiled. They're taken from their land. They're taken to Babylon. They're there for 70 years. When they return, the temple is reconstructed, but it is not built to its former glory. In fact, the people who saw both temples, God's word says they wept when they saw what it looked like compared to what they had remembered. Nevertheless, this is the temple that Jesus teaches in when he's going to show up at Christmas. We're going to celebrate that here in just a few weeks. But by the time the second temple has been built, there are some psalms that are now being formalized in the rhythm of worship in that temple. What do I mean by that? That there were daily psalms. In fact, there are some traditions still to this day that will gather in houses of worship and sing these psalms on a particular day. So on Tuesday, we sing this psalm. On Wednesday, we sing this psalm. So that is now happening with the second temple from some of the psalms. So this has really become part of the rhythm of worship, if you will, for God's people. And then finally, Psalms was put together in its final form after the exile around 250 BC to tell a story. And this is what I want you to see, to tell a story of God's faithfulness to his people and how they should respond. Please don't miss this. Century after century after century, these Psalms are being written. God's people return. The temple is built. And now 250 years before Jesus comes at Christmas, this 150 different Psalms are arranged together to tell a story. Like the nine episodes of Star Wars are arranged together to tell a story. These 150 psalms are arranged with great purpose and great intentionality to tell the story. What's the story they're telling? They're telling the story of God's faithfulness. They're telling the story of God's faithfulness and how to respond in light of God's faithfulness. And when you read through the book of Psalms, if you can see that this story is being told and you can see which episode or chapter you're in when it comes to the story, you can be encouraged to see God's faithfulness and we can be encouraged with how we worship in response. So let me give you kind of the breakdown then of these episodes. And I, and I kind of stole the language here from Star Wars to kind of stick with that analogy. So episode one is Psalms 1 through 41. Episode two, Psalms 42 through 72. Episode three is Psalms 73 through 89. Episode four, Psalm 90 through 106. And episode, episode five is Psalm 107 through 150. And what you're going to see for the rest of our time together today is why we know this. Like, why do we know that this is where we move from one episode to the next? Well, it's because of how they were arranged that the Psalms were arranged in a way for us to be able to recognize, oh, we're shifting gears. We're moving to a different part of God's story. We're gonna see a different part of God's faithfulness and therefore be instructed to how we can respond accordingly. So your message notes are now gonna correspond with these five episodes. So what I'm gonna do is I made up a title for each one of the episodes, okay? So I just kind of made it up based on what I think is being said here. And then I'm gonna give you a principle that hopefully helps guide us in worship and then I'm gonna take you to one of those psalms in that episode to hopefully encourage you, okay? So let's look at episode one. Episode one, Psalms 1 through 41 is David part one. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, episode two is David part two. Okay, so we'll get to that in a second. So David is very prominent in the first part of the book of Psalms. So if you're taking notes today, let me ask you to jot this down. It's the first thing I want you to see. 
We worship God for his grace in making a covenant with David, and we celebrate his promises. What's the first way that we can worship through the book of Psalms is by recognizing this. I mean, we've heard the story so many times that we kind of take it for granted, but just for a second. I mean, David is chosen to be king. His own dad didn't even think it was worth calling him inside. His own father left him out to tend the sheep while his other seven brothers are in the house. And Samuel's looking at them and saying, God's not leading me to anoint any of these sons to be the next king. Do you have any more kids? And Jesse's like, yeah, we got David, but I'm not. I mean, can you imagine the level of hurt and that, you know, just favoritism taken to a whole new level? And then in comes David. And God's like, hey, Samuel, I know Eliab, the oldest, he's really strong and he looks the part. But see, I don't really care about that because I look at what's going on in here. And David, that young kid right there, he's a man after my own heart. And what does God do? God allows David to be anointed as king, not just king in the way we think of like, yeah, okay, he's king. No, it's a covenantal anointing. Not to just declare that David's the king, but that through David's line, we will ultimately get the king of kings. And this is what the book of Psalms wants us to see from the very beginning of how faithful God was to see his plan through to completion. So let's go to Psalm chapter two. I mean, it's literally the beginning, Psalm chapter two. And this is gonna remind us of this covenant promise with David. So why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? This is a little longer Psalm, so hang with me. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. God said to me, this is David talking, David, you're my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Did that happen in David's lifetime? No. So even from the beginning of Psalms, we see this both and. All right, we're talking about David. Wait a second, we're talking about Jesus because now we're talking about possession to the ends of the earth. Verse nine, you'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the first thing we see when we worship through the book of Psalms is that God's faithful and God's faithful to establish this covenant with David. So let's go to episode two. And I told you kind of a spoiler alert, it's also gonna be about David. But the main part of episode two isn't gonna be as much a focus on David as much as it's gonna be a focus on how is God going to be faithful to see the next king from David's line. In fact, a really popular storyline that a lot of writers of movies and books and television shows love to use as their basis is what happens when a king dies. You'll see this storyline all over the place because when a king dies, other families see an opportunity to step in and seize the throne. So this is nothing new. That storyline has been playing out through all of human history and it played itself out in Israel's history that God has made this promise to David, but what happens when David dies? And so if you're taking notes, This is the second thing I want you to jot down, tied to episode two, tied to how we can worship because we celebrate God's faithfulness to continue his promises to David's successors. So we're gonna see that. Again, we're telling God's story of how he has played himself out through all of human history, his faithfulness, how his people should respond. And so David's going to die, 
But God's gonna be faithful to let one of David's successors continue his promise to David. And David had more than one son. And a whole sermon in and of itself would be, isn't it remarkable that God allowed it to be Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba? And this is just like our God, to, to just do things that we would go, wow, God, I, I, I don't know that, that that's how I would have written that story, but this is how God writes this story, and it's remarkable. And so we're gonna see in Psalm chapter 72, which is the last Psalm in episode two, a faithfulness of God as we see Solomon being set up to reign as the next king. So let's go to Psalm chapter 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. And that language, crush the oppressor, is even more prophetic talk towards perhaps someone who is in this line of succession who's going to crush the oppressor. And we're not necessarily sure that that is talking about Solomon. What is happening here? We're seeing again this line of succession. Yes, David's significant. Yes, Solomon's significant. But ultimately, the significance is getting us to Jesus Christ. So we've gone through uh, episode one. We've gone through episode two. And when we get to episode three, again, the, 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 by, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the, the men that arranged the Psalms, and we know this because we, that Sea Scrolls, 1947, discovered, 250 BC. We know this arrangement's taking place. When they get to episode three, there is an abrupt shift. And we should pick up on this as we're reading through the book of Psalms. And so here's episode three. It's a crisis of faith. It's a crisis of faith, Psalm 73 through Psalm 89. And here's the crisis of faith. God's people have been exiled. David's king. Solomon builds the temple. God's faithful to see succession. Now what? God's people are exiled and there is a great crisis of faith. And so here's the principle to jot down from episode three. And I think this principle is very applicable to us today. What do you do when the promises of God's faithfulness are not lining up with your current reality? What do you do when that happens? So I believe God's faithful. I believe in God's promises. I'm not ready to abandon God. I, 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 don't, I don't wanna act like I don't think that God can be trusted, but in a moment of honesty, what I'm seeing right now in my life does not match up with God's faithfulness. It's hard based on what I'm going through to stand on the promises of God. You should be encouraged. There's literally an entire section in God's word that is built around that theme. What do you do when God has said this will happen, but you've been exiled to a foreign land? What do you do when you know the temple was to be constructed, but you've watched it be destroyed? What are you supposed to do when your forefathers told of God's faithfulness, but you're now living somewhere you didn't choose? What are you supposed to do when you go through something you didn't see coming, an unexpected divorce, a job layoff, a child that's kind of wandered away and your relationship is now estranged? What are you supposed to do when your current reality doesn't face up with God's promises and God's faithfulness? And over and over, in episode three of the book of Psalms, we see this. Let me give you a few examples over and over in the Bible. Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper? You ever feel this way? There's an entire Psalm about that. Psalm 74, why have you rejected us and allowed the enemy to rejoice over us? Psalm 77, will the Lord reject us forever? Will he never show his favor again? You've ever felt that way? Psalm 79, oh God, the nations have invaded our inheritance. They've defiled your holy temple. They've reduced Jerusalem to rubble. 
Psalm 80, O Lord Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Why have you broken down its walls? Psalm 83, come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. This is what they were going through. This is part of the story that God is telling. And when we read the book of Psalms, what we see is we see how we can worship through this book that's telling God's faithfulness and his people's response. And so what are we to do? I mean, they're they're telling us the story. They've been exiled. And then at the end of episode three, we get this psalm written by someone who's a rather obscure character in scripture, but I'm so grateful that we have him. And his name is Ethan the Ezraite. I don't know if you've ever met Ethan the Ezraite. Let me introduce you to Ethan the Ezraite in Psalm 89. We're gonna read this here in just a second, but before we get to the text, this is Psalm 89, This is at the end of episode three. What has episode three been telling us? This great crisis of faith caused by the exile. But Ethan the Ezraite wasn't alive during the exile. He's actually a contemporary of David's. He's a contemporary of Solomon's. And what we're gonna read here in Psalm 89 is Ethan the Ezraite who was penning these words inspired by the Holy Spirit in real time based on a crisis that he was watching David walk through. See, David's life didn't always go well. In fact, there was a season of his life where he actually was, was still king, but was kind of having to flee one of his other sons named Absalom. It's a whole, I mean, you, I mean, a whole kind of drama. I mean, they would do all kind of reality series on that now. This was David's life. And so what's happening is Ethan is observing this and he's basically coming to God and saying, God, have you forgotten about David? Have you forgotten about the promises that you've made to David? So let's go to Psalm 89 and let's see Ethan's words, starting in verse 35. Once for all, I, Ethan, have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever and that his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But God, you've rejected, you've spurned, you've been very angry with your anointed one. He's calling out to God, Psalm 89. Let's keep going and pick it up in verse 39. You've renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. Ethan is saying, based on what I'm seeing, God, it seems like you've renounced the covenant you've made with David. Verse 49, Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations. The taunts with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. And then we see this verse, Praise be to the Lord forever, amen and amen, which we know from the texts that have been discovered. I mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was then inspired by the Holy Spirit, added later when the Psalms were compiled. Ethan, is he's, he's giving this heart-wrenching, God, where are you? Have you turned your back on David? And he's writing it in real time for events that happened hundreds of years ago. Well, why are they now taking this Psalm and dropping it here at the end of episode three? It doesn't fit chronologically. Well, it may not fit chronologically, but it certain fits, it certainly fits thematically because guess what? The same question is still being asked. God, have you abandoned your covenant with David? Somebody from David's line was supposed to rule and we have been exiled. And this is the question that is being asked at the end of the crisis of faith. But yet we're gonna see God has an answer for that question and it's a really remarkable answer in episode four. So here's my title for episode four, God is bigger. God is bigger. 
Zoom out. That's my way of, of seeing this. Because I like to use Google Earth. I don't know if you like to use Google Earth. I think it's pretty cool that you can be like on a point and you can start to zoom out and now you see more around it and then you zoom out and you see more around it and you can zoom, you keep zooming eventually like, oh, there's the whole state. Zoom out more. There's the whole country. Zoom out more. There's a continent. Zoom, eventually it's like, oh, that's the planet. Like, have you ever done this before? It's a lot of fun. They'll do it right now, but it's a lot of fun. You just kind of keep zooming out. But what happens? The more you zoom out, the broader perspective you get. So after asking this question in Psalm 89, hey, God, have you forgotten your promise to David? It would seem like Psalm 90 should say, no, I haven't forgotten my promise to David, but that's not what Psalm 90 does. What Psalm 90 does is it zooms out to remind us that God is bigger. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Remember that God's faithfulness is not people dependent. That's what God wants us to see. These questions that keep being asked about David, we would think, well, let's answer the question about David. And God's not interested in answering the question about David because ultimately, David's a guy, man after God's own heart, but flawed just like you and I. That God is gonna zoom out and say, wait a second. My faithfulness to my people started long before my covenant with David. And isn't it interesting that the author of Psalm 90 is none other than Moses. Moses, who precedes David by centuries. The same Moses that God used to lead his people out of Egypt. And it's like God wants us to see, hey, in the story of my faithfulness, it's never hinged on one individual person. So you're asking a question about David, but let's go to the words of Moses and let him remind you of my faithfulness throughout the generations. And so Psalm 90, penned by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, verses one and two. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, are you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting? You are God. And then he continues in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for and be glad, sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Moses said, we saw a lot of trouble for all these years in Egypt, but you've brought us out. So we're gonna keep worshiping you. And now we're reading this in Psalms and, and we see that, that there were many years of trouble in the exile, but God has brought his people out. So we're gonna keep worshiping you. Verse 17, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work for our hands. That if we just zoom out for a second and we recognize God is bigger, what do we recognize? God is faithful. And then what is our response to worship him? So how does all of this end with episode five? Well, it ends with thanksgiving praise and hopeful anticipation. That on the other side of the exile, when we're reminded that God has been faithful throughout generations, we respond with thanksgiving. We respond with praise. We respond with hopeful anticipation. Now, what is the hopeful anticipation that God's people are responding with in this great storyline of his people's history? The anticipation of the promised Messiah. Again, this is written in the Old Testament, and there's an anticipation that God will be faithful to fulfill his promise to send a Messiah. So let's go to Psalm chapter, uh, excuse me, let me get you to jot this down first. I'm giving you the point without giving you the point. Remembering God's faithfulness should lead us to praise and have confidence in his promises for the future. So they're saying, we believe that you'll be faithful, and we know God was faithful, that he did send the Messiah. His name's Jesus. 
But here's what's remarkable for us. Now when we read episode five of the book of Psalms, we can actually have the very same application. We remember God's faithfulness and we praise him and we have confidence in his promise for the future. What is his promise for the future? That Jesus will return. In many ways, our history looks similar to his people's history in the Old Testament. And here we are at the same place and time where we're longing to be with Jesus, where we're longing for Jesus to return. And interestingly enough, in episode five, many Psalms are now included again from David. And let me take you to one final Psalm where David is going to prophetically speak of his longing of the Messiah. And we now read it in light of Jesus's first coming at Christmas, and we can celebrate it in hopeful anticipation of the second coming of Christ. Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and I will not change and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is direct taken. We see this also referenced in Hebrews. It's taken from this passage in Psalm. We're talking about a Messiah, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. What do we see here? Hopeful anticipation that a Savior will come, a Messiah will come. God was faithful to fulfill that promise. What do we see here? Hopeful anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ. We believe God will be faithful to fulfill that promise. You see, all of God's faithfulness is ultimately demonstrated through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus willingly going to the cross for us and then defeating death through the resurrection so that we might be reconciled to God. And our worship team is going to come out and they're going to lead us in one final song of response. Actually, we're going to lead us in two songs of response. And the first song they're going to lead us in is one of my favorite songs we used to sing in the church I grew up in called Blessed Assurance. Why do we have this blessed assurance of a relationship with God? It's because of Jesus Christ. And as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to partake of communion. We've got communion stations set up here in the front, in the middle, and in the back of the room. But as you partake of communion today, you're reminded that Jesus willingly allowed his body to be broken for you, that he willingly allowed his blood to be shed for you so that you could have the blessed assurance of a relationship with God, that ultimately God's faithfulness demonstrated in his word, clearly explained in the book of Psalms, causing us to respond in worship is seen and fulfilled the person of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, we're all going to stand up. We're going to worship together. And you have the freedom to move around the room during the time of response. I'm not going to come back out and lead us all to, you know, partake of the bread and drink from the cup at the same time. You might want to get the elements and go to somewhere in the room with your spouse or with your kids or maybe students with some of your friends or perhaps some members of your life group and, and pray together before you receive the elements of communion. But as you do, be encouraged can stand on the promises of God. That when God makes a promise, he keeps it. You may be in the middle of a story that feels like a crisis of faith. Even in that place, you can count on God's faithfulness. And so God, we thank you for that as we come to you right now. We thank you that many times when what we see in front of us doesn't match up with the promises that you've given, that we're going to fall back on those promises. You've shown us too much. You've demonstrated way too much of who you are. And our only response is to worship. 
So God, as we enter into this time of response where we sing to you, would you receive our praise? God, as we receive and partake of these elements of communion, may we remember your faithfulness through the sacrificing of your own son. And so we respond in worship. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the only name that saves. Amen.